0: Chapter 10 of The Well at the World's End, Book Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gemma. The Well at the World's End, Book Two by William Morris. Chapter 10 of The Desert House and The Chamber of Love in the Wilderness. Then in a while they grew sober, and went on their ways. And the sun was westering behind them, and casting long shadows. And in a little while they were come out of the thick woods, and were in a country of steep little valleys, grassy, besprinkled with trees and bushes, with hills of sandstone going up from them, which were often broken into cliffs, rising sheer from the tree-beset bottoms. And they saw plenteous deer both great and small and the wild things seemed to fear them but little to ralph it seemed an exceeding fair land and he was as joyous as it was fair but the lady was pensive and at last she said thou deemest it fair and so it is yet it is the lonesomest of deserts i deem indeed that it was once one of the fairest of lands with castles and cots and homesteads all about, and fair people no few, busy with many matters amongst them. But now it is all passed away, and there is no token of a dwelling of man, save it might be that those mounds we see, as yonder and yonder again, are tofts of households long ago sunken into the earth of the valley, and now few even are the hunters or wayfarers that wend through it. Quoth Ralph, "'Thou speakest, as if there had been once histories "'and tales of this pleasant wilderness. "'Tell me, has it anything to do with that land "'about the wide river which we went through, Roger and I, "'as we rode to the Castle of Abundance the other day?' "'For he spoke of tales of deeds, and mishaps concerning it. "'Yea,' she said, so it is. "'And the little stream that runs yonder beneath those cliffs,' is making its way towards that big river aforesaid which is called the swelling flood now true it is also that there are many tales about of the wars and miseries that turned this land into a desert and these may be true enough and belike are true but these said tales have become blended with the story of those aforesaid wars of the land of the tower of which indeed this desert is verily a part but was desert still in the days when I was queen of the land, so thou mayest well think that they who hold me to be the cause of all this loneliness, and Belleg like Roger Raja thought it was so, have scarce got hold of the very sooth of the matter. Even so I deemed, said Ralph, and to-morrow we shall cross the big river, thou and I. Is there a ferry or a ford there whereas we shall come, or how shall we win over it? She was growing merrier again now, and laughed at this, and said, O oh, fair boy, the crossing will be to-morrow and not to-day. Let to-morrow cross its own rivers, for surely to-day is fair enough, and fairer shall it be, when thou hast been fed, and are sitting by me in rest and peace till to-morrow morning. So now hasten yet a little more, and we will keep the said little stream in sight, as well as we may for the bushes. So they sped on, till Ralph said, will thy feet never tire beloved o child she said thou hast heard my story and mayst well deem that they have wrought many a harder day's work than this day's and moreover they shall soon rest for look yonder is our house for this even until to-morrow's sun is high the house for me and thee and none else with us and therewith she pointed to a place where the stream ran in a chain of pools and stickles and a sheer cliff rose up some fifty paces beyond it, but betwixt the stream and the cliff was a smooth table of greensward, with three fair thorn bushes thereon, and it went down at each end to the level of the river's lip by a green slope, but amidmost the little green plain was some ten feet above the stream, and was broken by a little undercliff, which went down sheer into the water. And Ralph saw in the face of the high cliff the mouth of a cave, however deep it might be. Come, said the lady, tarry not, for I know that hunger hath hold of thee, and look how low the sun is growing. Then she caught him by the hand, and fell to running with him to the edge of the stream, where at the end of the further slope it ran wide and shallow before it entered into a deep pool, overhung with boughs of alder and thorn she stepped daintily over a row of big stones laid in the rippling shallow and staying herself in midstream on the biggest of them and gathering up her gown looked upstream with a happy face and then looked over her shoulder to ralph and said the year has been good to me these seasons so that when i stayed here on my way to the castle of abundance i found but few stones washed away and crossed well nigh dry shod but this stone my feet are standing on now i brought down from under the cliff and set it amidmost and i said that when i brought thee hither i would stay thereon and talk with thee while i stood above the freshness of the water as i am doing now ralph looked on her and strove to answer her but no words would come to his lips because of the greatness of his longing she looked on him fondly and then stooped to look at the ripples that bubbled up about her shoes, and touched them at wiles. Then she said, See how they long for the water, these feet that have worn the waist so long, and know how kind it will run over them and lap about them. But ye must abide a little, waste wearers till we have done a thing or two. Come, love. And she reached her hand out behind her to Ralph, not looking back, but when she felt his hand touch it she stepped lightly over the other stones and on to the grass with him and led him quietly up the slope that went up to the table of greensward before the cave but when they came onto the level grass she kissed him and then turned toward the valley and spake solemnly may all blessings light on this house of the wilderness and this hall of the summer-tide and the chamber of love that here is then she was silent a while, and Ralph break not the silence. Then she turned toward him with a face grown merry and smiling, and said, Lo, how the poor lad yearneth for meat, as well he may so long as the day hath been. Ah, beloved, thou must be patient a little, for belike our servants have not yet heard of the wedding of us, so we twain must feed each other. Is that so much amiss? He laughed in her face for love and took her by the wrist but she drew her hand away and went into the cave and came forth anon holding a copper kettle with an iron bow and a bag of meal which she laid at his feet then she went into the cave again and brought forth a flask of wine and a beaker then she caught up the little cauldron which was well beaten and thin and light and ran down to the stream therewith and came up thence presently bearing it full of water on her head going as straight and stately as the spear is seen on a day of tourney, moving over the barriers that hide the night before he lays it in the rest. She came up to him and set the water-kettle before him and put her hands on his shoulders and kissed his cheek and then stepped back from him and smote her palms together and said, "'Yea, it is well, but there are more things to do before we rest. There is the dighting of the chamber and the gathering of wood for the fire,' and the mixing of the meal and the kneading and the baking of cakes and all that is my work and there is the bringing of the quarry for the roast and that is thine then she ran into the cave and brought forth a bow and a quiver of arrows and said art thou somewhat of an archer quoth he i shoot not ill and i she said shoot well all woodcraft comes handy to me but this eve i must trust to thy skill for my supper go swiftly and come back speedily do off thine harbourk and beat the bushes down in the valley and bring me some small deer as roe or hare or cony and wash thee in the pool below the stepping stones as i shall do whilst thou art away and by then thou comest back all shall be ready save the roasting of the venison so he did off his war-gear but thereafter tarried a little, looking at her, and she said, What ailest thee not to go? The hunt's up he said, I would first go see the rock hall that is for our chamber to-night. Wilt thou not bring me thither? Nay, she said, for I must be busy about many matters, but thou mayest go by thyself if thou wilt. So he went and stooped down, and entered the cave, and found it high and wide within, and clean and fresh and well-smelling, and the floor a fine white sand without a stain. So he knelt down and kissed the floor and said aloud, God bless this floor of the rock hall, whereon my love shall lie to-night. Then he arose and went out of the cave, and found the lady at the entry, stooping down to see what he would do, and she looked on him fondly and anxiously, but he turned a merry face to her, and caught her round the middle and strained her to his bosom, and then took the bow and arrows and ran down the slope and over the stream, into the thicket of the valley. He went further than he had looked for, ere he found a prey to his mind, and then he smote a roe with a shaft and slew her, and broke up the carcass and dight it duly, and so went his ways back. When he came to the stream he looked up, and saw a little fire glittering not far from the cave, but had no clear sight of the lady, though he thought he saw her gown fluttering nigh one of the thorn bushes. Then he did off his raiment and entered that pool of the stream, and was glad to bathe him in the same place where her body had been but of late, for he had noted that the stones of the little shore were still wet with her feet where she had gone up from the water but now as he swam and sported in the sun-warmed pool he deemed he heard the whinnying of a horse but was not sure so he held himself still to listen and heard no more and then he laughed and bethought him of falcon his own steed and dived down under the water but as he came up laughing still and gasping he heard a noise of the clatter of horse hoofs as if someone were riding swiftly up the further side of the grassy table where it was stony, as he had noted when they passed by. A deadly fear fell upon his heart as he thought of his love left all alone, so he gat himself at once out of the water, and cast his shirt over his head, but while his arms were yet entangled in the sleeves thereof, came to his ears a great and awful sound of a man's voice roaring out, though there were no shapen words in the roar. Then were his arms free through the sleeves, and he took up the bow and fell to bending it, and even therewith he heard a great wailing of a woman's voice, and she cried out piteously, Help me, O oh help, lovely creature of God! Yet must he needs finish bending the bow howsoever his heart died within him, or what help would there be of a naked and unarmed man? At last it was bent, and an arrow knocked on the string— as he leapt over the river and up the slope. But even as he came up to that pleasant place he saw, all in a moment of time, that there stood Silverfax anigh the cave's mouth, and the lady lying on the earth anigh the horse, and betwixt her and him the knight of the sun stood up stark, his shining helm on his head, the last rays of the setting sun flashing on the broidered image of his armories he turned at once upon ralph shaking his sword in the air and there was blood upon the blade and he cried out in a terrible voice the witch is dead the whore is dead and thou thief who hast stolen her from me and lain by her in the wilderness now thou shalt die thou scarce had he spoken than ralph drew his bow to the arrowhead and loosed there was but some twenty paces betwixt them and the shaft sped by that fell archer smote the huge man through the eye into the brain and he fell down along clattering dead without a word more but ralph gave forth a great wail of woe and ran forward and knelt by the lady who lay all huddled up face down upon the grass and he lifted her up and laid her gently on her back the blood was flowing fast from a great wound in her breast and he tore off a piece of his shirt to staunch it, but she, without knowledge of him, breathed forth her last breath ere he could touch the hurt, and he still knelt by her, staring on her as if he knew not what was toward. She had dight her what she could to welcome his return from the hunting, and had set a wreath of meadowsweet on her red hair, and a garland of eglantine about her girdlestead, and left her feet naked after the pool of the stream, and had turned the bezels of her finger-rings outward, for joy of that meeting. After a while he rose up with a most bitter cry, and ran down the green slope and over the water, and hither and thither amongst the bushes like one mad, till he became so weary that he might scarce go or stand for weariness. Then he crept back again to that chamber of love, and sat down beside his new one mate, calling to mind all the wasted words of the day gone by. For the summer night was come now, most fair and fragrant. But he withheld the sobbing passion of his heart, and put forth his hand, and touched her, and she was still, and his hand felt her flesh that it was cold as marble. And he cried out aloud in the night in the wilderness, where there was none to hear him, and arose and went away from her passing by Silverfax, who was standing near by stretching out his head and whinnying at whiles and he sat on the edge of the green table and there came into his mind despite himself thoughts of the pleasant fields of upmeads and his sports and pleasures there and the even song of the high house and the folk of his fellowship and his love and therewith his breast arose and his face was wright and he wept loud and long, and as if he should never make an end of it. But so weary was he, that at last he lay back and fell asleep, and woke not till the sun was high in the heavens, and so it was that his slumber had been so heavy, that he knew not at first what had befallen. And one moment he felt glad, and the next as if he should never be glad again, though why he wotted not. Then he turned about and saw Silverfax cropping the grass nearby, and the lady lying there like an image that could move no whit, though the world awoke about her. Then he remembered, yet scarce all, so that wild hopes swelled his heart, and he rose to his knees and turned to her, and called to mind that he should never see her alive again, and sobbing and wailing broke out from him, for he was young and strong, and sorrow dealt hardly with him. But presently he arose to his feet, and went hither and thither, and came upon the quenched coals of the cooking-fire. She had baked cakes for his eating, and he saw them lying thereby, and hunger constrained him, so he took and ate of them, while the tears ran down his face and mingled with the bread he ate. And when he had eaten, he felt stronger, and therefore was life more grievous to him, and when he thought what he should do still one thing seemed more irksome than the other he went down to the water to drink and passed by the body of the knight of the sun and wrath was fierce in his heart against him who had overthrown his happiness but when he had drunk and washed hands and face he came back again and hardened his heart to do what he must needs do he took up the body of the lady and with grief that may not be told of he drew it into the cave, and cut boughs of trees, and laid them over her face and all her body, and then took great stones from the scree at that other end of the little plain, and heaped them upon her till she was utterly hidden by them. Then he came out on to the green place, and looked on the body of his foe, and said to himself that all must be decent and in order about the place whereas lay his love. Then he came, and stood over the body, and said, I have naught to do to hate him now. If he hated me it was but for a little while, and he knew naught of me. So let his bones be covered up from the wolf and the kite, yet shall they not lie alongside of her. I will raise a cairn above him here, on this little fair plain, which he spoilt of all joy." Therewith he fell to, and straightened his body, and laid his huge limbs together, and closed his eyes and folded his arms over his breast, and then he piled stones above him, and went on casting them on the heap, a long while after there was need thereof. Ralph had taken his raiment from the stream-side, and done them on before this, and now he did on helm and hauberk, and girt his sword to his side. Then, as he was about leaving the sorrowful place, he looked on Silverfax, who had not strayed from the little plain, and came up to him, off saddle and bridle, and laid them within the cave, and bade the beast to go whither he would. He yet lingered about the place, and looked all around him, and found naught to help him, and could frame in his mind no intent of a deed then, nor any tale of a deed he should do thereafter. Yet belike in his mind were two thoughts, and though neither softened his grief save a little, he did not shrink from them as he did from all others. And these two of his home at Upmead's, which were so familiar to him, and of the well at the world's end, which was but a word. End of chapter 10